They wanted to operate again. She said, no, I don't want that because I want to graduate with all of my hair. They would have had to shave her head. Not only that, she had gone deaf in her left ear because of this tumor. Wait, she went deaf because, 100% deaf because of the tumor? Because of the tumor. Pardon? I'm her mom. It has feelers and it closes off everything. It paralyzes the side of her face. So they said it was 100% non-functional in this ear and she sings in our worship at church and she couldn't hear the music anymore. And when we got here, she couldn't hear you out of that ear. So she, she said to her mother, if I could just get to the Benny Hinn crusade, my God. I know the Lord healed me. My God. <laughs> he did that tonight. My God. There is no pain. The pain is gone and she can hear out of her left ear. Totally, totally healed in Jesus' name. She says Jesus has healed her tonight. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Hi, D. Nothing. There's a beautiful sunrise happening right now. I want to be looking at that, not your face. How does it feel <laughs> to be an influencer on social media? Uh, nothing's really changed, mate. <laughs> like, it's not like they're clamoring at my door. Uh, I'm not, like, front page of the sun or the TMZ, you know. Like, I'm not being papped when I've got curlers in my hair and a fag hanging out my mouth. Well, just fag wait. for all the American listeners means a cigarette in Britain, by the way. I wasn't being very, uh, that wasn't a homosexual slur. Oh, I thought you meant like a, a homosexual hanging out of your mouth. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not that level of famous yet either. Just wait. I mean, we had, a, <laughs> we had a video go viral, a reel go viral on Instagram. So we are officially social media influencers now. You know, both you and I have had many viruses of many types, but I've never had this type of virus. I wouldn't mind having a couple more. It has been funny watching it snowball. I think I've only had one video ever go, I had two actually go viral. When you, when you say go viral, it has to have over a million hits, right? That's what I think, yeah, over a million. So I remember I posted a video on uh, the Sick and Wrong YouTube page where I took Mel Gibson's phone call where he was drunk and he was um, calling his ex-wife and he called her like, you fucking cunt. He was screaming at her. Um, I took that and I, I put it, I, I took like a Dora the Explorer little clip from her uh, cartoon where she's answering the phone. It was Mel Gibson. And so um, I put that up on YouTube and that got like something like 2 million hits. Oh, so wow. Totally went viral with that. And then I did another video. It was from the Olympics, I think eight years ago, where there was a, I think I took it from like ABC News footage where this, these girls were, these Runner, like I think they were like um, I forget like relay runners. They're relay runners, and she was bent over stretching, and her shorts were so short, like you could totally see under butt. And she was kind of shaking because she was like stretching out her muscles. And so I put the song Rump Shaker. You know that dan 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 dan. All I want to do is rub a zoom 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 on your boom. You know that song? Ah uh, no, I don't. That's passed me by. Uh, you're like a Gen Xer. That's not the song I would have put on it. 
Well, anyway, that video got like 2 million hits until really the guy that took the video footage complained to YouTube and Rump Shaker uh, complained for a copy. So I got like hit by copyrights by two different sides, so that got taken <gasps> Why down. is Rump Shaker complaining? It's great publicity for him. <laughs> yeah, for a song that was like popular in like, what, 1993? Yeah. yeah like, get over know. it, mate. So anyway, haven't had, and I've had many viral attempts uh, since then, that have uh, just fizzled out and fell flat. Up until, what was that, like a month ago, when uh, we were at uh, the airport in Lisbon, Portugal. And we were waiting we were to get on a flight hungover. to Paris. And uh, I was like, hey, I want to post this diarrhea vid. But I'm too old to understand reels. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a little too old to even understand Instagram. Definitely too old for TikTok. But Kate Rambo over here, the social media manager of Sick and Wrong... Um, was showing me how to do reels. And uh, you're like, oh, okay, you got to put current, you're showing me how to do like text. So you put text and you put like a little uh, emoji or something on it. And uh, <laughs> we upload that video, that Japanese, that English video. Um, I forget the, na- the name of the series, but uh, it's these girls doing a dancing. I have a bad case of diarrhea. diarrhea. In the early days of uh, when I, I had first joined the show, like three years ago, I'd never seen that video. I remember when you showed me it, I laughed till I cried. <laughs> so I can well, see why people love it. But apparently a lot of people hadn't seen that video. I, I kind of assumed, because that video has been going around for a while on the internet. And I mean, I think someone showed, sent it to Sick and Wrong like years ago. So I assumed sometimes that everybody them, had though. seen it. But sometimes you miss them. Like I work with like a guy who's older than me and he remembers all like the OG uh, Rotten.com days, but he'd never heard of like Lemon Pie and I had to sit there and explain what the Lemon Pie was to him. See, that's bizarre to me too. But you know, I guess you're right. It's like these esoteric, you know, internet terms. You know, probably a lot of people, and plus I think it's generational too. So I think maybe these people had never seen, you know, the diarrhea vid because it came out in like, you know, the mid aughts. And so this this TikTok and Instagram generation you know, probably was never aware of it. So anyway, we posted it. Didn't think anything of it. Like what? Two weeks later, all of a sudden, it's like up to like a million hits or a million yeah, I views. Think it's a million and a half now, one point five. That's crazy. Which is ridiculous for for that reel is just ridiculous. But it shows you one thing: people have in common, toilet humor. Yeah, yeah. They they definitely love um, um, vulgar lewd humor and that's pretty much what sick and wrong is all about so anyway like our instagram page which we haven't even really pushed like we put up that instagram page years ago and i think it had like i don't know three or four hundred followers that's about it now we're up to like 2100 yeah and but now it's funny because we're just like oh yeah let's just post all these horrible real because like me and you send each other a lot of reels every day i think everyone does you send like you know i send jojo reels you send jojo reels uh, I send Leander reels. You know, you send your mates reels. And now we can become those people where it's like, let's send reels. Yeah, and then <laughs> we just post these terrible reels. And most of them involve like, you know, crippled people, disabled people, you know, uh, dwarves. Yeah. Can you say midgets? Somebody got at me once for saying that you can't say midgets. That's a derogatory why is, term. Why? It's a derogatory term. Why, why is saying calling someone colored derogatory? It's just offensive. Oh, is it? All right. I didn't know. I apologize to any midgets listening. You're supposed to say dwarf, you know. But no, aren't there different types of dwarves? 
Like there's the dwarves with the little hands that can't reach their dicks, and then there's dwarves with the average size hands that can reach their dicks. Well, yeah, but that's a type of dwarf. I, I, I forget. It's like primordial dwarfism or something. I forget. Or pituitary dwarfism. There's some, there's different types of dwarfism, but none of them are called midgets, nor do they refer <laughs> to each other as midgets. I, apolog- I, again, apologize to all midgets listening. But regardless, there's a lot of reels of midgets on the Sick and Wrong Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> Along with people with speech impediments and uh, just various other ailments and uh, disabilities. And we just post these reels. And, for, and now these reels are getting like thousands of views, which is hilarious to me. Even if no one ever, even if one person just listens to the show, I consider it a win. <laughs> That's coming from the social media manager of Sick and Wrong right there. Hey. Are you going to put that on your resume? We just need one person at a time, baby. One person. We're building a community here. It's not a I mean, what is it? It's not a Marvin. I a, just suck I at social media. I really do. I'm well aware that's a you know primary tool for exposure and publicity, but I'm just too old to give a shit. I'm. It's too not old. only that. It is a full time job, and anyone who thinks that doing like YouTube and all of that for a living isn't hard work, I think is completely blindsided to how much work actually goes into it. Well, I'm, you know, I fully admit I'm too old to even comprehend it. Like, you're, you know, you're telling me, like, oh, you have to post at this time, and you got to use two hashtags, and you got to include a song because the song will then, you know, entice the algorithm to, it's just like, I don't fucking get it. I'm too old. It's a science. It really is. And you you know, you've got you've kind of figured it out, which is which is impressive. But you know, to not be really, honest, if I didn't do this for Cockta show, I would not I wouldn't even be on social media. I'd be one of those dudes. It's just not on Facebook, maybe That's Instagram because you're just looking at pictures, but probably none of it because I fucking hate it. I like Instagram and I like Twitter. My favorite thing about Twitter is like <laughs> where I work, they have like obviously like a pawn blocker. So you can't like look at porn, and if you search up anything like so- like saucy on Twitter on Google, it won't allow you. As soon as I open up Twitter, there's just like split beef. <laughs> so, so they can't brilliant. block Twitter. They can't block the porn on Twitter, so that's why I like Twitter. It kind of Tumblr used to be like that. Tumblr used to be great for porn, but then they like banned porn. Yeah, rest in peace, Tumblr. I was never a Tumblr chick. Like, I've I've not been like a Pinterest chick. There's just like so much like shit out there. Like, there's just too much. Even I'm like overwhelmed by it. Like, the generation below me, they're the ones who are shit hot. I don't know, but you know, I fully understand and recognize the fact that we are influencers now. We are <laughs> we are influencing people <laughs> on Instagram. Kind of on TikTok, but TikTok is that that's a difficult one. I that's can't even figure that out. That's a whole of a beast. You're you're too old for TikTok. Oh, I feel old on TikTok. By the way, please add us on TikTok. Yeah, come come add us on uh, on uh, Instagram because it's kind of it's kind of a lot of fun, especially with the people commenting. Because some people get really upset. Yeah, I like it when the people get upset and start arguing. <laughs> We're kind, you know, we're kind of like the Kardashians if they hosted a scatological podcast that no one really gives a shit about. Maybe we're exactly like that. Yeah, we're we're like the Edge Lord Dashians. That's what we are. Oh my god, that's amazing. (laughs) But you know what, though, I doubt we're more than a blight on society than that wretched family. So, um, this this is my segue here. So this week, we're going to learn a lot about the Kardashians. On this week's show and next week's show, it's a two-parter. Um, it has to Kate be. Rambo, 
managed to make a verifiable connection between the Kardashians and the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, and a whole host of other people in between, including Jim Jones. And in fact, the Kardashians were instrumental in funding the infamous hate group. Albeit indirectly. No, directly. Um, They directly funded the Ku Klux Klan. And if it wasn't for the Kardashians, the Ku Klux Klan probably wouldn't have had their, like, I think it was their third wave in the 1930s when they came back. The Kardashians were basically like, take all the monies, boys. Keep on going. We admire what you do. I stand corrected. They directly funded the the, the KKK. And not to mention, uh, Kim's uh, great-grandfather actually designed their robes and hoods. Um, those robes at the time were the epitome of fashion. I'm making that up. <laughs> That's not true. But they did fund the KKK, and you're going to hear all about it. But I got to say one thing. You have to dig deep to find information um, connecting the uh, Kardashians to the KKK. Like, it's, you definitely have to do some research and dig deep into the bowels of the Internet for that. If they scrubbed it, I'm not quite sure. No, it's it's not scrubbed. You just have to, like... If you type in, like, Kim Kardashian family or Kardashian family, it seems to think, everyone seems to think that it begins with Robert, who, yes, is famous in his own right, but it's, like, his father and his grandfather in particular that are very shady fucking people. Very wealthy, very connected, and uh, they have definitely some uh, some ties to some underworld figures. Um, do you remember, this is, like, in 2014, uh, Khloe Kardashian uh, posted a KKK meme. I do, yeah. You remember this? And uh, people freaked out. They got like 26,000 comments over it. So the meme was, uh, I think, she, I don't know if she, she didn't make the meme. I think she just reposted oh, no. it. But it said, it's the pictures of the three Kardashian sisters. And it says, the only KKK to ever let black men in. I mean, that's funny. It is funny. Yeah, yeah and, uh, I can see, and like Chloe does have a funny sense of humor, and like I will, I've I've definitely said this. So I've been looking at lots of pictures of their whole family. So they they used to be originally called the Kardashians. I remember there was that whole scandal, and everyone was like, Chloe doesn't look like the rest of them. She's like totally. Where are you from, Chloe? Chloe is a hundred percent Armenian looking. Like she looks like that entire Kardashian line, and so did Kim and Courtney to some too, degree. Yeah. Courtney more so than Kim. But, like, they are all Armenian as fuck. Especially when you when, look back. Especially uh, before Kim started getting all the uh, plastic surgery and she kind of looked like uh, Jafar from Aladdin. Remember that? Right. No. <laughs> we, we've had this argument. All of the Kardashians are fucking beautiful before surgery, during surgery, and after surgery. Like, they're still hot. They're just hot-looking people. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But anyway, Chloe <laughs> posted that meme and, uh, and said that she captioned the image saying, True. And then uh, Courtney Kardashian's boyfriend, remember that asshole, Scott Disick, that guy? Oh, Scott yeah, Disick? the Lord Scott Disick. I actually liked Scott Disick. Well, he shared the image on the Instagram page, and he added, and a Jew, <laughs> 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 referencing his own background. But it's funny because people uh, were really upset. They were outraged about it. And, they, and people were commenting, and, and you wonder why us black people say that racism is still alive. This is sad. Oh. And so, yeah, they ended, she ended up uh, taking it down. She deleted it. And I imagine, you know, they don't want any, any of this information connecting them or, uh, or any kind of relation being proven, to, you know, that they funded the KKK. 
Like, it's definitely not something they want to talk about publicly. I, yeah, I'm very surprised that there isn't a Vice documentary about this, or a Vice article. There's no Rolling Stone articles. And as far as I can see, nobody has reported, like, apart from the William Branner website, the Jonestown website, and there's one book uh, about Avok the Great. There is nothing. This is like the first time. It's true. I mean, there's this is a this is a, a a saucy piece of investigative journalism here on Sick and Wrong. But there definitely is a nexus between the Kardashians and the KKK. So before we get into uh, the the origin of the Ku Klux Kardashians, let's chat <laughs> about a hate group that uh, hates everyone equally: the Sick and Wrong Aww. Patron. Yeah. Um, so for a mere five dollars a month, that's it. You get access to Sick and Wrong Second Show. So we do two shows every week. We do one. That's public, which you're listening to right now. And then we do one that's on the Patreon. It's um, a full bonus show. It's a bit more personal, quite a bit more vulgar, especially when Kate Rambo's on the sauce. Um, this hey. week, uh, we chat about me driving obliviously through a potential mass shooting in Hollywood. I don't even oh, think I, I told it. you about that yet. Yeah. No, um, no, you haven't. Yeah, just I was obliviously driviving right through it, honking at people because it would get out of my way. Um, we also right, discuss uh, um, celebrity writers. Uh, you know, I saw that, um, you know, in 2019, Cher played London's O2 Arena. And yeah. uh, she wanted an entire room just for her wig collection. Cher can have whatever the fuck she wants. <laughs> Why are you begrudging her anything? It's amazing what some of these people ask for in their writers. And we also cover a news story about uh, an actor from the, the movie Dances with Wolves who's accused of sexually abusing indigenous girls and leading an uh, indigenous cult. I so this is that. all on the Sick and Wrong Second Show, only five bucks a month. That's it. So not only can you get access to uh, a bonus show every week, you can also support your favorite podcasters on the Patreon. And for a few dollars more, you get access to our bonus mini-sode, Sick and Wrong Overkill, as well as the Sick and Wrong Archives, the first 10 years, um, all available on the SoundCloud playlist. So just go to patreon.com slash sickandwrong, sign up today, support the show. We do appreciate it. So let me play this quick Patreon promo, and uh, then let's uh, chat about the racist origins of the Kardashians. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners, if you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. All right, so you guys listen to Dave Matthews. You yeah, got a water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then... Uh, and She's then... like, come to the boudoir. Right, right. The boudoir. <laughs> the boudoir. Uh, right. <laughs> she, is, she is the type of woman who would call it a boudoir. Right. So, so you go in there. When did you see, first encounter the smell? Uh, I think it's like when I pulled off her pants. Oh, she pulled her panties down. Wow, just when and you, I, and, what, and pants or panties? No, 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 pants panties, trousers still on, here. panties still on, strong whiff. Oh, through Whoa. the panties? Yeah. That's intense, that's intense. Right. That's intense. And I noticed And it. so you're like, I gotta go further. And I was that. like, I gotta get my head in there. <laughs> I gotta put my tongue in that. <laughs> I gotta inspect a little closer. <laughs> I gotta find Nemo. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever Kim Kardashian literally needs no introduction. She's arguably the most famous reality star of all time and also the highest paid to... 
And as a world, we've watched her grow up and branch out from the television industry to movies, music, retail, cosmetics, fashion. And with the current trend being the hatred of nepotism, you could say that she's the most famous Nepo baby of all time. Her father, Robert Kardashian, was a third generation American-Armenian. And he's mostly pop culture famous for his role in the defense team of O.J. Simpson for the murder of Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson in 1994. He did it. Did, did her father make a sex tape too? Is that how... It would be kind of hot though because like, Robert Kardashian's pretty fit and Chris uh, Jenner back then was pretty hot as well. So I would see that sex tape. What about Caitlyn Jenner? <laughs> oh God, it's starting already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Everything the entire Kardashian clan does is scrutinized, it's judged, it's thrown up on TMZ. But the world-famous billion-dollar books family, they have ties to another clan. And I don't mean the one that wears skirts and shouts freedom in Scotland. Yes, as the title so salaciously screams, the Kardashians are linked to the Ku Klux Klan. Before we time travel back to unravel the whole story, I just wanted to say hello to, we were talking about this, all the new and old listeners, we've been getting a lot. And in case we haven't met, my name is Kate. I am a like a huge true crime fan. And if I'm either consuming crime content in like podcast serials or old documentaries, because I fucking hate Netflix ones. I love Dead Bug Says on YouTube. Um, or I'm reading true crime books. And for those that are new here, and all true crime fans will attest to this, because like you do, you go in waves, right? Sometimes I'm in like a Holocaust mood. Sometimes I'm in a Zodiac mood, or I'll be in a Manson mood. And lately, I will see it has been like months long obsession now. It has been certainly a Jim Jones mood. I'm sorry, D. I mentioned Jim Jones a lot. It yeah, just you you mentioned now. Jim Jones almost as many times you mentioned The Simpsons That's or not Red true. Dead Redemption. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> It's maybe like, maybe, you know, I'm a little bit on the spectrum in that way. It's like when I get an obsession, I want to like really get into it. And like the thing about Jim Jones is like, uh, there's a lot to it. And there's also a lot of misunderstandings about Jim Jones. So I've been, and there's a lot of content to enjoy and to savor. You're definitely a bit on the spectrum. I am on the spectrum. I'm special. My name is Special K. So we have Jim Jones, and he also has ties to the Kardashian family, which is actually ultimately how I first became interested in this, because there's actually little to no other news articles setting up this whole sordid story, all this history. So we're going to be the first. Will we get sued? Maybe. Let's find out. I'll see you in court, Kim. It'll be good fun. exposure. I mean, negative publicity is still publicity. As the social media manager, I must just say, all publicity is publicity. It's fine. So there are two starting points to the story, but we're going to start with the Kardashians, who may have actually been saved their entire bloodline by a 165-year-old prophecy. The Kardashians originated in Russia, and they were originally known as the Kardashovs. Uh, the dates aren't exactly but by the right, but by the mid to late 1800s, they had moved to the village of uh, Karakel, which is in Turkey now. It's close to Mount Ararat, which is famous for being considered the resting place of Noah's Ark if you subscribe to that type of thing. I am going to mispronounce all these words, by the way. Well, they're all like Armenian surnames. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, <laughs> it is so difficult, like, especially living in LA where it's like the land of Armenians. Very difficult to uh, pronounce their surnames. 
Yeah. Anyways, the Kardashovs were religious rebels because they weren't the traditional Russian Orthodox. And instead, they belonged to a Protestant group called Molokan. Not Brian Moloko from Placebo, like I first thought, but Molokan, which translates loosely to milk lovers, which, you know, I've been called worse. They were named this because on Russian Orthodox fast days, they would drink milk and they would eat meat, which was forbidden. They're rule breakers. This band of rebels refer to themselves as spiritual Christian holy jumpers. I mean, it's not catchy, but it gets the point across. And as well as eating when the fuck they wanted, they were also pacifist and they refused to bear arms. The Molokans are basically Pentecostal in belief. They like raise hands in worship. They dance. They jump around. They believe in holy spirits, talking through holy men. And they also believe in miracles, too. So the Molokans have been compared to the Quakers here in the U.S. Okay. And they have a somewhat Pentecostal, but also kind of Protestant-like view of the authority of Scripture. And so they interpret the Bible allegorically or spiritually, and they see the sacrament spiritually, reject the use of any religious icons, which is kind of atypical for Christians. Uh, they reject the use of the image of the cross. Um, which Remember that Bill Hicks joke where he was like, I was the, last thinking thing, that. the last thing Jesus would want to see if he came back was people wearing <laughs> the cross, cross around their necks? Yeah, like Jackie O with the rifle. <laughs> that's yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> like, I don't know if, if that's why the Molokans rejected you know, the, use, the uh, use of the, the, the cross icon. Um, but they also reject the church hierarchy along with venerating saints. So definitely very atypical for the for regular Christians. Uh, Malakans are uh, pacifists. They congregate in their own homes. They don't drink. They don't smoke. They oppose contraception and modern technology. I would say they're almost more like Amish. Yeah, very Amish in a way. Also very boring. It's the Adamant song, isn't it? You don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? Pray. <laughs> it sucks. It's like a cat. Um, Pray they follow the Old Testament. Children, darling. They follow the Old Testament laws. Refuse to eat pork, shellfish, or unclean foods, and uh, they they refuse to obey Orthodox Orthodox mandates on on uh, fasting as well. I almost said well, fisting. Because... I almost said fisting there, but <laughs> <laughs> fasting. Well, they wouldn't have fisting because you're not going to get pregnant off fisting unless you wipe the sperm on the fist first. And then just fist your wife. Yeah, they might be. Nobody's ever gotten pregnant doing that. They're they're probably opposed to blowjobs too. They just sound so lame. They are a bit lame. They're on borrowed time in their resettled land, which is now modern day Armenia, Georgia, and Eastern Turkey. And in the 1850s, a little 11 year old called FM Klubnipkin uh, said that he had received a prophetic revelation about a land of milk and honey. He said, Those who believe in this will go on a journey to a far land while the unbelievers will remain in place. Our people will go on a long journey over the great and deep waters. People from all countries will go there. There will be a great war. All kings will shed blood like great rivers. Two steamships will leave to cross the impassable ocean. Because he was just a young boy, no one paid much attention. Until about 50 years later in 1901, he's now an elder in the community, and he called a meeting of the Molokan mines in Karakali, and he reminded them of his prophecy when he was a young boy. But he's adding two extra revelations to it now. One was a warning, and that this was that they only have a small window of opportunity, and the Armenians must move quickly because this, the government's soon not going to allow them to leave. The second was that they must not only go to America, but they've got to go to California in particular. We must settle in Calabasas, make sex tapes. And by mansions. 
This is what we must do as a people. (laughs) They were exiled, they're fearful of their future, and around 3,000 Molokans embarked on a clandestine journey to America between 1904 and 1911. They mainly traveled in their family groups, and they entered at ports in New York, Montreal, Galveston, and around 300 individuals traveled up the Panama, and they ended up in San Francisco. Many of the Molokans settled in Los Angeles, the Central Valley, San Francisco Bay Area, Arizona, and Oregon. For a time, there was also a Russian Molokan colony in um, Baja, California, near Encida. Baja, sorry. Yeah. Oh, like a Baja Blast. Is that why they invented Baja Blast? Yeah, that's that region, Baja, Mexico. So so what? So a Baja Blast, was that invented in Mexico? Well, Baja, California, it's like southern. It's kind of on the border of San Diego. Ensenada is just south of that. Ensenada is kind of a cool city in Mexico. I fucking miss Baja Blast. Why are they so nice? <laughs> um, the Molokans in the U.S. seem very strange to Americans. Not surprising. No shit. And their religious observances were called odd. Uh, the Molokan colonies and communities were called cults. And uh, mm-hmm. Molokans were harassed by Americans with the creation of the derogatory term Molokan slackers. That's what we called them. <laughs> they're given this moniker mainly because they w- refused to serve in World War I. Oh, because they're pacifists. Pacifists, yeah. So Molokan yeah. slackers over there. Yeah. I always like to, my, one of my favorite American derogatory terms is, so the word hunk that we know nowadays be like, oh my God, he's such a hunk. That was actually um, a derogatory term for the Hungarians that moved to America uh, to help build the country because they were just considered dumb, but really tough. Hmm, so why didn't they call them hungs? Hung, yeah. No, I don't know why, but it probably like developed from hungs to hunk. Oh. But that was always my favorite one, hunk. And now we've reclaimed it. Like yeah. Brad Pitt, what a hunk. Repurposed it. The families that chose to stay back home in like Turkey, they kind of mocked the families that had departed. Uh, yeah, but not for very long because they're going to be slayed in the Armenian Genocide, which occurred from 1915 to 1923, where the Turks killed about 1.5 million of them, mainly in World War I and the 1917 Russian Revolution. Similar to the Jewish Holocaust, men, women and children were treated like animals. They were starved, beaten, killed, all at the hands of the Ottomans. Predating the Nazis, they were systematically fined, tortured, and destroyed all Armenian life that they found. In the end, the only Armenians that survived were the ones that had fled. Wow, so the prophecy rang true. Um, So the Ottoman Empire feared that the Armenians would collaborate with the Russians, and they used military force to to, uh, prevent um, any kind of Russian uh, assistance. And so in the aftermath, the Armenian population was obliterated completely. And only those who fled uh, survived. Um, so what's interesting about this is a lot of the presidents, even I don't even think Obama recognized the Armenian genocide because they're worried about, you know, causing well, friction with Turkey. Yeah, well, they're Erdogan and, and, you know, we have uh, trade and diplomatic relations with Turkey and Turkey refuses to even admit that this happened. Well, um, well, yeah, the Turks also refuse to admit what they've done to the Kurds either, but it doesn't mean there aren't 40 million of them like there waiting without a well, land. Well, last year, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom declared that Armenian Genocide Remembrance Day, which is observed uh, annually on April 24th, is a statewide holiday known as Genocide Awareness Day now. Oh, wow. And so is that, that for the Holocaust too? Is it just for anyone all who's genocides. died? 
So yeah, okay. so on every year on April 24th, all community colleges and public schools throughout California will close, and state employees will be given time off with pay. Um, and it's a gen- Genocide Remembrance Day is a day for all to reflect on past and present genocides, but especially those that felt the impact of these atrocities. Um, and, and groups that have found refuge in California, including, but not limited to, the Holocaust, Holodomor, and the genocides of the Armenian, Assyrian, Greek, Cambodian, and the Rwandan uh, communities. That's all inclusive now. Genocide Awareness Day. It's a, I love the start of uh, Diamond Dogs where it goes, this ain't rock and roll, this is genocide. <laughs> that should be the unofficial anthem for Genocide Awareness Day. Well, I remember, I, so I used to live in... Uh, I guess it's called Thai Town. This is where me and Harrison lived. So I lived a block away from Harrison when I lived um, kind of near Jumbos. That's like Thai Town. But it's also called Little Armenia because that was one of the right. first like uh, main Armenian uh, areas. So my, one of my favorite restaurants, Carousel, that Armenian oh, Lebanese restaurant is, is over I there. You know, the, speaking of the Kardashians, I've seen the Kardashians there before. At Carousel? At Carousel, yeah. That's their favorite restaurant. Usually they I'm rent the surprised. whole thing out. But one time yeah. I was there and... Uh, I don't remember which sister. I think it was Courtney was there because I was with a, my girlfriend at the time. I was like, oh, my God, there's Courtney Kardashian. You know, another time I ran into, uh, who's, the, who's the hot one, the uh, model? She's not the hot one, but, yeah, you tell this story. You saw Kendall Jenner at that, the deli. The yeah, diner. the deli in uh, Beverly Hills. And I had no that idea who she to. was either. My sister was like, oh, my God, there's Kendall Jenner right there. I don't, can I, I'm just putting this out there. Kendall is not my favorite. My favorite's Courtney. I think she's the hot one. Um, but anyway, Anyways. in that in that area of town, Little Armenia, I remember just being like, "What the fuck's going on?" Because on like April twenty fourth, you'd see like all these cars out, and they would do like sometimes there'd be a parade, but there'd be all these cars that were just stopping traffic, and with the Armenian flags out, and then people like you know with uh with with like um sitting there like yelling and chanting and walking around with signs. And so I was in with like megaphones and I was just like, what is this? Like, I didn't even know about the Armenian genocide. <laughs> it's genocide day. Well, yeah, the, um, Armenian Remembrance Day or Genocide Remembrance Day. Yeah, it's Nali, the Armenian genocide. I didn't know much about it until I was like reading and right. Like, I, re- I didn't even really. This. Yeah, I didn't know much about it either until I, till I saw these people like, you know, having parades and things like that. And I looked into it and I was like, well, that's kind of a gnarly genocide and it's and it's kind of insane that American presidents aren't recognizing it. But now they are, at least. Now they are. Biden That's did. Good. So in the words of Owen Wilson, you might be thinking, why? Why? Why did they choose California as opposed to Canada, which was their original plan for immigration? And that's because of the Pentecostal revival that was taking place in Los Angeles between 1906 and 1915. The Holy Spirit moved them, and it moved them to the land of fruit and nuts, just like I will be moving to the land of fruit and nuts. Shortly before the First World War broke out in 1913, Sagatil Kardashev and his wife, um, Hrepsima, they boarded the SMS brand- SS Brandenburg for America. A little over a month later, their son Tatos and his wife Hannah, they sailed to America on the SS Colm. I love that name, Tatos. Oh, Tatos, Tatos. It's great. It's like either, it's almost like, it almost reminds me of titties or taters. (laughs) Taters. Yeah, it makes me think of very Irish things. (laughs) uh, There is actually an Irish um, crisp brand called um, Tatos. Tatos. Yeah, that are very nice. 
So after arriving, they filed a declaration of intent to become a citizen. And by 1923, they had filed for naturalization. And they settled in Los Angeles, where he ethnically cleansed his name uh, to Tom Kardashian. And that's what we're going to be calling him from, like, from here on out. What? No more Tatoes? No more Tatoes. You can call him Tatoes if you want. I'm going to call him Tom or Tommy. Tatoes. Hannah didn't have to change her name. She's just Hannah. Um, and she's actually the auntie of Demos Shakirian, who had also escaped the genocide. Again, fiercely Pentecostal, he baptized in the Holy Spirit at the age of 13. Along with the newly named Kardashians, they placed huge significance on modern-day prophecy and religion in general. Together, they sponsored a faith healer named Avok um, Hagopian to come from Iran to heal the crippled son of a Kripko Akhililian. I'm sorry, I know I'm throwing like tons of names out there. Arachelian. Akhililian? No, it's, it's nearly Star Wars. Kripko Arachelian. Kripko Arachelian. Yeah. It's a very Armenian last name. It just sounds like a Star Wars name to me. Like, and on the planet, Arachelian. I was thinking that, too. It kind of reminds me of, like, Klingon names in, like, Star Trek. <laughs> Just, like, mocking people. Your language, buddy. It sounds like a Star Trek Just one. the names, like, Krikor Arachelian. <laughs> like, it, it sounds like some kind of alien name, like an alien species. It does. Um, so we're going to call him Mr. K. Basically, it's to make it easier for me and for you as a listener, so you don't have to listen to me go every time. He's originally from Turkey, but he had immigrated to Fresno. And he's actually a hugely successful farmer. In fact, he was known as the Melon King of America, which was uh, John Steele's nickname in the Deja Vu back in the day in BC. Vintage California lovers, they might remember him from his iconic packaging for the Mission Bell brand melons uh, that he sold. And he eventually moved from melons to wine. And in fact, the Mission Bell brand, it's still strong today. Still rocking and going. You know, you can go to his winery in Madeira. Madeira's kind of near Fresno. Um, But yeah, he had land in Fresno, uh, Madeira, and San Joaquin counties. And uh, he farmed grapes and raisins. And by the 1940s, um, Cricor was worth $25 million. Do you imagine how much that's, money that... Yeah, that's a lot of money at that time. That's billions. Can I just say that raisins are really underrated? I really like a raisin. I'm like an old woman. I'm like, oh, just give me a raisin. The oh, rabbi God, hated raisins. I know he them. did. Despise them. Somebody said I looked like the girl on the raisin box. You know who I mean? She's like on the red background and she's got like a headscarf on. And she's got black hair. Somebody said I looked like her once and it was like the greatest compliment I ever got. That'd be a good Halloween costume. I could do the raisin girl. So Mr. K, he's connected to the Kardashians through marriage. So already you get the idea that the money, the power's already rolling in. Because he, you know, obviously he's rich. The Kardashians are rich. Mr. K also had mob connections in Chicago. The American dream, it's happening for all these people. And as mentioned, um, Mr. K's son, he's crippled. And what happens when conventional medicine fails? Alternative healing methods, they shall prevail. And that's how our Persian friend, Avek Hagopian, he makes his stage entrance left. Uh, I did get a lot of this information from a great book. It's a PDF. Um, like It's called Avek um, Hag- Hagopian from Fame to Failure, Hagopian. And it's by Ray Wiermachuk. I'm sorry, Ray. Roy, Roy. I'm sorry saying Roy's name wrong. He only wrote it in 2021. 
Oh, relatively new. Yet there's not that much about uh, Avakagopian, so you say that Hagopian. name. But Hagopian, I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> well, it's typical. How, how many Armenian <laughs> names? I mean, with me, it's like you encounter it everywhere. Law firms, everything. So you see a lot of these like Armenian surnames. You just kind of hear it on the radio. You learn yeah, how, how many Armenians them. do you think live in the north of Britain? I doubt any. You know, I had never None. actually even met any Armenians until I moved to... Uh, to LA because they don't even really you don't even see that many Armenians in San Francisco but yeah. here I mean there's like Armenian churches and you know full Armenian communities and, and Carousel is one of the best if you ever come to LA and you want really good Armenian slash Lebanese food go check out Carousel but I was researching Avakagopian because I had heard about this guy um, but there's not that much about him either this online. is the only really well-researched book I could find. This guy, Roy, he's put it as a PDF so you can read through it. And it's like quite a zippy read. So if you want to read more about him, because I've gone into it and I've taken from this, and there's a Life article, and I read through a whole bunch of old newspaper. Um, there's a lot of newspaper clippings about him. So you, I've kind of taken from all of that and mashed it all together. I mean, he was kind of a rock star at the time. He is kind of sexy. He kind, you know who he kind of reminds me of? Or who would play him in a movie? Jared Leto. I was thinking Jared Leto as well. Yeah. He's like young Jared, like 90s Jared Leto, not now. Jared Leto still looks pretty young. Yeah, but he's, I don't know, he's kind of twisted now. It has to be young and fleshy. Like he's a bit too thin. But I get that. So our friend Avok here, he was born September the 24th, 1926, in a village whose name I can't pronounce in Iranian, so I'm not going to. So he's a Libra, like Lux Interior, who uh, died February 2nd, 30, 14 years ago on this date. And like Lux, he's charismatic, he's charming, and he's a leader of the people. He's Armenian Christian in a mainly Islamic country. But his life didn't actually differ much from the other children in his area, and he grew up on the family farm, which always sounds romantic, no matter what country uh, you're in, unless you're Marshall Island, Tony, where he was the preferred child, and he never had to work out in the field or with the sheep until he decided he wanted to um, around the age of seven. Avik, and everything he said must be taken with a pinch of salt, states that he received his first divine vision at the age of eight, that he should become a faith healer. Later on, he said that he was a prophet up until he was around 13 and that he once even stopped a drought across Persia when he was 12 because he prayed for rain. There are zero records of a severe or long-lasting drought in 1938, but don't let that stop you from believing in the myth. Avik said that he began to distance himself from God at the age of 13, that's foreshadowing for another preacher later, and that he lost his ability to heal. He had zero formal education. He struggled to write his own name, but he could speak Armenian, Persian, and Turkish, which, like, look, I can barely speak English. So, you know, smarts, uh, smarts can't be determined sometimes. His prospects at life were looking at basically, he's going to learn to become a trade, like a learner trade, or he's going to become a farmer. At the age of 17, he moved to Tehran to become a metalsmith, and it was here that he stated that he first began receiving his visions again. He said that he saw a column of dazzling light and it would fall over his bed every night and that he would fall into a trance-like state in which he would carry out his metal engravings with his eyes closed. Soon he would say that during his sleep, amongst other things, the entire Bible was revealed to him. Was he on MDMA or something? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the Persian version of the day. <laughs> hey, Persian version, I'm a poet. 
more visions would follow. He would see doves that spoke to him in his mother's voice. So she was still alive at the time. It's kind of Oedipal that she's telling him things. He would see swords of gods. He was led by a great man in an altar in a church whose source of knowledge that he could access at any time. So he basically met Wikipedia. He met Wikipedia at those times. From then on, he claimed he had the ability to read people's minds, and he even said he prevented his work colleagues from committing a secretly planned robbery against the, uh, the company. He had a vision of Christ, and in that moment, the gift of healing returned to him, along with the obligation to be celibate, because apparently Christ hates it when you masturbate, although there is absolutely no mention of any command for anyone to be celibate in the Bible, by the it, way. That's true. Um, I looked it up in Corinthians 6, 9. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will never enter the kingdom of God. No word about celibacy. But for the record, God's totally cool with lesbians. Cause he is. We all love lesbians. <laughs> I know. Lipstick it's just like, okay, you can, it's all right for women to scissor each other. Just no dudes. No dudes. All right. <laughs> No dudes can bump and grind. Bring the chicks, though. <laughs> After this, Avic's life goal was to heal the sick without the use of conventional medicine. So this is much like the early Pentecostal evangelist. With similar techniques, he would lay his hands on the sick part of the human body. He's going to pray his little heart out with great success. He even brought a, ch a drowned dead child back from the dead, apparently. He's the OG faith healer, Avic. The OJ Iranian one, yeah. I'm going to say, I like saying Persia more. I wish we, it could still be called Persia. I do like saying Persian. You, you hear people say, refer to people as Persian here, because there's a lot I of think, uh, Iranians. I here. think people do that because if you say you're Iranian, people immediately get the ick. But if you say you're Persian, people go, oh, how exotic, well, how lovely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. This, all of this is causing him to become a local celebrity. Even local doctors were impressed with his 60% success rate and his reputation as a miracle healer led to around 800 people a day wanting to be healed by Avik. The Iranian Society of Experimental Spirit Science, they dubbed him Avak the Great. And news soon spread across the ocean to the father of a cripple, our melon-loving friend, Mr. K. Despite claiming that he could heal over great distances, the idea of a trip to Yankee land seemed appealing to the shaman, and he was brought over on Mr. K's dime. But he didn't travel alone. He brought along his manservant, Gurvag, who had become his faithful slave since Avik had apparently healed his colon cancer. So considering Avik needed to place hands on the area that needed healed, I'll let you make your own mental picture about why uh, Gurvag was not his, was his butt boy. His Celibate. Butler, his butt yeah, boy. right. <laughs> yeah, he healed my colon. Avak left. He arrived on May the 6th, 1947, to huge fanfare, a throng of reporters. Even a Pathé camera crew was there. Uh, he stepped off the bird in a hooded decorative cloak, framing his Persian girls that swathed his face. He had dark blue pants, green suede loafers. When asked about healing Mr. K's legamental son, he said, With God's help, I can cure him. I have nothing but praying. What I do is with the help of God. Such was his press that he had become immortalized in Life magazine under the headline, Avak the Healer. I'm going to post a picture of, um, of Avak in those robes yeah. and he does i mean he looks like some kind of otherworldly magician 
He yeah, he's exotic and like fanciful. Yeah, like like what I kind of picture like Rasputin to look like that. There's a lot of Rasputin in all of this. When I yeah. was reading about him, I was like, he's just like the Persian Rasputin. Avic, his butler, his bodyguard, Mr. K, and Frank Nevisian, whom would be acting as like his host and his interpreter, they made the long 125-mile drive to Palm Springs. The first healing would begin that night with Frank's wife, Zena, who was paralyzed on the right side from a heart attack four years previous. Before he began to lay hands on her and pray, he stated, Have faith in me! And you will be healed. And when reporters heard that she was still disabled, he stated, I must do it in my own time and my own way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure he says that a lot. Um, yeah. So at the time, the Arachelians had two homes, they had one in southern Madera County and this other one in Palm Springs. And so uh, Mr. K took the faith healer to his desert estate, which was once owned by Barbara Hutton. It's a massive Who's mansion. Barbara Hutton? She was at a, an old heiress, like she was an heiress to like the Hutton fortune. And she was like okay. a debutante at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they owned like these massive estates. Um, but that, that was where um, Avec met Vaughn, our Achillean, the crippled boy for the first time. On, yeah, so on May the 7th, he was in Mr. K's 14-room mansion, praying over the, their son Vaughn, who also currently had a broken arm at the time to boot to this because you know the fact he couldn't fucking walk and he also had extreme bouts of um epilepsy he'd been cr- crushed by a car hadn't yeah he? I, was it well, I read that he was uh struck by a bus actually That's at it. age oh, nine fuck. yeah yeah <laughs> avic did his usual uh get better soon fam prayer and then said give it a couple of weeks and uh, you're gonna be fighting fit again vaughn you'll be fine People were chomping at the bit for their own miracle healing session with the Persian preacher, and they turned up in droves at Frank's house just to be turned away. Although 300 are essentially going to camp out in the desert heat, waiting for their own miracle. By the end of May, that number's going to grow to 4,000. Just it's, in the desert heat, these mental. people. He turned down all forms of money and press, saying that he needed to concentrate to heal Vaughn. His outspoken modesty, it's only making him more popular and more legit in the eyes of the public. You, I don't think we went to Palm Yeah, you haven't been to Palm Springs. But no, I'd love to go to Palm Springs. It's where the gay You have not retire. experienced heat like that before, like that desert heat. It's insane. Like, it was so hot, it melted my rearview mirror off my windshield. Shit. I mean, I didn't even go out in the daytime when we went to Vegas, but it was cold when we went to Vegas. Yeah, we, we went to Vegas in March, but if you went, if you yeah. went in like July, it's like when it's when when there's wind blowing, it's like someone has like a hair blower in, like a, in front of your face. It's so fucking hot. Like people shouldn't know, exist in that kind of weather. I do know what you're saying, but we've just been through a really crummy, cold winter in Britain at the minute. That's kind of all I want. <laughs> to be complaining about the well, heat. we'll go to Palm Springs. I, I mean, Palm Springs is kind of cool. I love the Salton Sea. It's one of my favorite areas of California. I really want to go there. Yeah, um, that's in the middle of the desert. But Avic spent months at this Palm Springs estate, and there are throngs of sick and afflicted uh, people that flocked into the city seeking healing for themselves. So, so many that city officials had a crisis. Like they couldn't even provide accommodations to all these people. So that's why they were camping, like outside in that heat. Um, so Avic limited himself to healing only 60 people a day, five days per week. So 60 a day, five days per week. Um, this attracted even more people to Palm Springs because, it, you know, word got, word got around that this, like, you know, healer who's like a divine entity using, using God's power to heal people 
um, then made the situation even worse. So restaurants and cocktail bars couldn't even keep up with the thousands of people. And the police department was forced to call in reserves to maintain law and order. So it got so bad that Avic was like, all right, I'm going to cut it down to only 30 per day now. <laughs> I feel so bad for like all these celebrities who were living in Palm Springs at the time who have like moved out there for a bit of a quiet life into their nice, like beautiful like little homes. And then there's, what, 3,000 sick people Ugh. outside just wanting to be healed by this weird person. Wouldn't you just hate it? Imagine if your house was opposite. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, like, I mean, this guy's estate is probably near other, you know, mansions and, like, so many affluent people and homes there at the time. I did look. His house is still there. This house that this all happened in is still there. It's, a, it's like, a kind of famous one in Palm Springs. I, like, Google mm. mapped it, which is one of my favorite things to do. Even mega producer Daryl Zanuck, he turned to Avic in the time of need. He had a private visit with him. Hollywood even offered him a role to play Jesus in an upcoming <laughs> film. Because of Avic, suddenly all faith healers were drawn to California and cults sprang up overnight. And one of these individuals who came to grab an opportunity was a British Methodist pastor, Clement Llewellyn Davis. Born in Britain, but raised in Canada, he had directed Christian political events like radio broadcasts in the Los Angeles area since 1940. He had founded the cult Victoria City Temple in 1938 in Victoria, British Columbia. He had also taught pseudoscientific medicine, and he wanted Avic to join his church. So Davies pastored the Centennial Church in Victoria, British Columbia throughout the, the 1920s. And there he preached British Israelism. <sighs> An early version of Christian identity theology. So mm -hmm. British Israelism, we could almost do a show on that. But that is bizarre. It's also called Anglo-Israelism. And so it's the British nationalist, pseudo-archaeological, pseudo-historical, and pseudo-religious belief that the people of Great Britain are genetically, racially, and linguistically the direct descendants of the ten lost tribes of ancient Israel. <laughs> yeah, good luck explaining this to somebody at a dinner party when they say so what do you believe in well it's been completely refuted but you know I'm, I'm sure there are still people that might believe this um, there's plenty of racists in this country who would believe this is it the bnp i'm sure they're like oh no yeah. we're the descendants of israel not those pesky jews um, but between 1899 and 1902, adherents of British Israelism dug up uh, parts of the Hill of Terra. Have you ever seen that in uh, Ireland? Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to go check that out. I've never been out. to it to see it with my own eyes. Uh, like, do you know what? I just wanted to spell this myth for like every American who's listening who has these really romantic ideas of like, I want to go to Ireland. My whole family's from Ireland. Ireland is, I will say, 96% shit all. <laughs> but there are some cool things there. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing the Hill of Tara. I, I've been to Ireland a bunch. I will never go to Ireland again. I like that. I'd go back there. Um, but anyway, they dug up parts of this, this, you know, this historical monument in the belief that the Ark of the Covenant was buried there. <laughs> And they did all this damage to one, you know, one of Ireland's most ancient royal and archaeological sites. At the same time, British Israelism became associated with various pseudo-archaeological um, theories, such as the notion that the Pyramid of Khufu, which is the Pyramid of Giza, contained a prophetic numerology of the British people. So, yeah, not surprisingly, here, um, ultranationalist uh, Clem uh, became affiliated with the KKK. And by the early 1920s, he was recruiting members through his church. We're going to get way more into that next week. Definitely, we're going to get way more into uh, what he was up to. 
Another faith healer who was drawn to the fame was a man called William Branner, who by 1947, he had embellished many events of his life story. Eventually, he would claim he had been born under a supernatural sign, that since he was a toddler, he'd, prese- he'd possessed a prophetic gift, and that he could weave his... He even weaved his, like, widowhood and dead daughter into his, like, woe-is-me folklore. Such was his pull, he began what was essentially a preaching sideshow with little David Walker, who was 12 at the time, but who had been teaching since he was nine after he'd received a five-hour vision from heaven. Fun fact, little David Walker, he's now big David Walker. He's still alive. He's with us. He's giving sermons and Bible fun facts on Facebook if you want to find him. Uh, I did message him, but he's not messaged back because he probably just knows not to. Yeah, we should get him on the show. Well, I asked him, I said I was researching it. I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a student and I'm researching about the teachings of William Branner and obviously it led me to you. I just wanted to ask you some questions. And yeah, he never messaged back. Hmm. So I'm not surprised. This touring revival is hugely popular. And just like people would for Avic and Clem Davis, they would line up to be healed by this miracle worker. So these free preachers, they all share several things in common. One is that the people they claimed that they had healed obviously weren't. As reported in the Los Angeles Times on June the 2nd, 70-year-old uh, Maria de Leon of King City, who had been dying from cancer, she died half an hour after her treatment from Abbeck. And shockingly, Vaughn never ever got better, having been let free of the bonds of Mr. K, his cousin Tom Kardashian stepped in to start funding the, preach, uh, the freak show. Avic was also somewhat related to Tom. So Tom's son, Arthur, this is Kim's grandfather, was married to Helen Archelian. Archelian? Archelian? Arachelian. Arachelian. Together they would have three children, one of them being Robert Kardashian. Robert Kardashian. I know there's like tons of names and spiderwebs. Even I'm kind of getting confused and I can't even say them. But we're setting up the stage here. So Act 2 is going to be all the juicy gossip. And now we're kind of being introduced to the players. On September the 21st, Avic basically, he went on tour and he did a free night gig in the Shine Auditorium in Los Angeles, which is still kicking. It's a gorgeous building. And in the 1960s, it was actually the pinnacle of concert halls for rock bands to play. Yeah, I've seen many shows at the Shrine. It's kind of like by downtown, by, by uh, the USC campus. Um, I think a while ago I mentioned that, that fateful Nick Cave show that I went to at the Shrine where I just had my foot tattooed. We had to walk all the way upstairs, and I couldn't sit down because this massive goth chick took up two seats. I mean, it's an old theater, so the seats are tiny. And her ass yeah. like, could not fit in, in one seat. So it was like she sat... Like one half, like one cheek, like her right cheek was in the seat and the other one just kind of spilled over into my seat. So oh, I couldn't, no. I couldn't even sit down. So for I the whole fucking show. I remember you talking about this on the patron. Yeah. Oh, no, like, I was, I was quite upset. I was livid. We also saw, um, it was Harrison's birthday. I took him to go see Motorhead. It was the last show that Lemmy played. It was at the Shrine. Oh, there. Oh, what yeah. a great place to go and play is your last show. It's a gorgeous building. It was kind of a bummer seeing Lemmy at that point because he was like, Pretty, yeah, uh, he was being propped up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. he was being propped up. And he, I mean, so you know, he still sang the songs. It sounded great. And it's just an, an epic band. But yeah, I've, there's still lots of shows at the Shrine. So that's cool. It's still going. Such because LA just likes to tear shit down. So yeah. at least it's still there. So Clem Davis, he's going to be the moderator on this uh, little tour that they're doing. 
Clem, who, like we said before, he had militant views of Christianity. He also had a distaste for organized religion, and he would use his sermons to weaponize religion as a fear tactic for political agenda. Obviously, this is a tactic as old as time. It's still used to this day worldwide, but it will remind you of someone else later on. Around uh, 21,000 people a day crammed in to see the two faith healers work their magic. Clem would later claim that he saw people walking who had been paralyzed for 20 years and blind people who could suddenly see again. Sure. Sure he did. Yes. You know, it kind of blows my mind that Christians still believe in faith healers to this day. To this day. It's such an, to me, it's a real American thing. Oh, yeah. Like, this isn't something that's going on in Britain, really. I mean, I'm sure we've got them. We've probably got sex. I, mean, sex I think it's probably it, going but... on in other countries, not like Britain. I, I bet you it's like, you know, areas of like Malaysia and India and things like that. They believe oh, in... Oh, definitely. Africa. Yeah, Africa. Yeah, Africa for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but have you ever heard of the, uh, the, the faith healer Benny Hinn? I do know the name, but I think that's because you've talked about it before. He's, an, he's like an Indian guy, older, probably the most notorious faith healer still and definitely the most successful faith healer still okay. operating today a complete and utter charlatan fraud right. yeah like this guy's defrauded people out of like millions of dollars i mean it's it's insane i know the fbi was actually looking into him because i mean he's yeah. got mansions around the world private jets he goes and stays they saw him at a hotel in rome that was like a ten thousand dollar a night hotel because he's Whoa. you know people got to give him money because he has a direct line with Jesus. And uh, that- anyway, he um, has a daily talk show called This Is Your Day, which broadcasts in over 200 nations around the world. And millions, maybe even tens of millions of people attend his Benny Hinn's Crusades, is what he calls mm-hmm. it. Um, every year he does these crusades. The largest one was in Mumbai in India, where over 7 million people attended over a three-day period. This is what I mean. Why do white people go to India to find God? They always do it. Well, no, these or were Bali. Indian people. That, but there was whiteies there. There was maybe, whiteies there. But too. I mean, it's it's crazy. So Hin teaches that God intends for everyone to be healed of all their diseases. If people oh, have wow. faith and they can believe they can be healed, God will heal them through the agency of a healer like himself. Uh-huh. And so his crusades are carefully constructed. And in fact, I actually went to one with Kessler in 2010 in Oakland. We went for the, we, for the shits and giggles for the craft. Oh yeah, no, it, me, me and Kessler have been me and Kessler followed him since we were in high school. We loved it. I mean, his. Yeah. If you ever get a chance, go do a search on uh, YouTube for Benny Hinn. It's H I N N, and you should watch him. Like he'll pull people up on stage in a wheelchair, and he'll sit there, and he's Indian, so he's, he sounds like an Indian person, and he'll walk around. And he's like, "Oh, I can, I can feel it, Jesus. I can feel it, Jesus." Bam! And he'll like just whip his hand, and the person will just fly out of the wheelchair on the ground, rolling around, and then they just drag him up off stage, or they'll they pick the person out. up and prop him up and be like, "He is healed." And then they'll just kind of sneak him off stage so you don't even see the person sit back down in the wheelchair. It's, it's amazing. But the way yeah. they do it with these, like, it's carefully constructed. So it's oh, like yeah. manipulates everyone in attendance. There's singing and repetitive music that builds an atmosphere and a sense of anticipation of when Benny's going to start healing people. Because at first it's like prayers and they sing songs and all that. But then all of a sudden it becomes like full revival mode and he starts pulling people up on stage. I'm sure they're all plants. I'm sure, because I, I don't think, like me and Kessler couldn't get up on stage. Um, but they, it, they, these crusades like crescendo in a time where then he announces God has begun to heal people through him. And he'll speak in tongues. Like he'll 
have God inside of them. And then he like gets people to come up on stage and he touches their foreheads and they fall over with the power of God. And so he claims that God's working through him to heal others and he'll list all the miracles you know, that he can, that he can heal diabetes, depression, you know, um, paralysis. And as the healings begin, all these people start coming forward, asking for their own miracle, which is, I imagine what happened with Branham and Clem and Avic, same kind of same mentality. Oh yeah. And generally though, only people who claim to have already been healed are showcased on stage. So Benny speaks to them and then he'll slay them. With the Holy Spirit. That's what he calls it. Slays them with the Holy Spirit. I slay oh my it's amazing. If you ever get a chance to see Benny Hinn live, it's quite a spectacle. Okay, I'll definitely. Uh, it's free. I would love to go to a Pentecostal church as well, just because, again, we don't have anything like that in Britain. So I just yeah. think it would be crazy. Like, even when we did the episode about the snake preachers. The snake handlers, like, yeah. I would love to see that The snake handler too. preachers. Just to see that would be just insane as well. Tom Kardashian. He's acting as Avex interpreter at the event, and he also announced that together they're going to build a temple exclusively for Avex and his faith healing. He also announced that Avex was God's messenger, and they're going to take part in a 12,000-mile train journey mapped out by Clem through 34 U.S. states and Canada in October, which Clem named From Sea to Shining Sea. So many people believe that Avex had healing in his wings which refers to Malachi 4, description of the son of righteousness. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. But that's how the media described him. They described him as a Rembrandt painting of Christ, or like a living saint. And reporters would ask him if he was Jesus Christ, or if he thought he might have been Jesus reincarnated. Like that's how, that's how brainwashed these people were. I don't just mean brainwash too. I just mean he was so super fucking famous. I don't, maybe we haven't put across that very well, or I haven't. Is that he was insanely famous, world famous, and world people were famous. mystified by the guy. I mean, he was kind. Yeah. He was like a rock star at the time. Totally. Maybe because Avik had decided he liked America and he didn't want to go back to Iran, he began seeking full U.S. citizenship, and this was a way for him to basically get a work visa by doing this like whole train circuit thing. So around 200 passengers, mainly old ladies, they boarded the full round trip at a cost of $655, but it was a grand all-in once tax was thrown in. Although, again, Avik, he isn't taking a paycheck, but where's the money going? How come Tom Kardashian can suddenly have the funds to build him his own temple? Hmm. You know, where's this money going? Tom made the full trip alongside his wife, mainly because he was worried about Clem's influence on Avic, and he wanted to be a buffer in that uh, racist sandwich. All reports state that Avic took this opportunity as more like a sightseeing tour, and he was actually bothered by the sick that were waiting for him to heal them at every stop. Soon, the press, they're going to take notice of this. Could you see him when they, they pull up at a stop and he just rolls his eyes like, ugh, God, look how many of them are out there. Fucking cripples. Oh, yes. <laughs> So this whole faith healing tour later became the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association International, founded by Dema Shikarian, Tatos' nephew. Tom, yeah. Tom's nephew. I know you want to call him Tatos, but he's Tom. But it should come as no surprise that Branham, William Branham, was a member of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association International. And so Branham frequently mentioned Avakagopian in association with his stage persona's rejection 
of an offer for a new Cadillac. So apparently the Kardashians, I guess Tom, you know, arranged for Avic to get a Cadillac. But uh, William Brandon would say like, oh, you know, they offered me one. And I said, no, because I don't need one. He said he was in a Cadillac. He oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I got a picture it. of it that I'm going to post on the site. He said, yeah. I tell you, Brother Branham, they said, we gave Avic a Cadillac and we'll give you a new one to ride home in. And I said, I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it with all my heart, but I couldn't ride in a Cadillac. I appreciate anybody that could ride in one, but I couldn't do it. That's what, that's what he said in one of his sermons. Well, he did accept the Cadillac. He accepted a Cadillac from Minor Argenbright, who was the vice president of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, which meant he accepted a Cadillac from the Kardashians. We're going to talk more about this uh, Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, which is still going to this day, which is still dodgy as fuck, and former members of it include President Nixon. As just a baseline for it's a, there's so many scandals involved with that, even going up into the 80s because uh, Demos was still like president of it and there was still lots of scandals occurring. But we're going to talk more about that next week. The train it stops at Washington, D.C., and the Herald they published a comment that the Faith Healer was more like any of the tourists that flocked to the city and that the USA had no need to import Faith Healers from Persia when they already had so many of their own, which is very catty. At each stop, the crowd is growing smaller. Clem, he bought, he caught a cold, bless him, and he missed several of the stops. The press began asking questions about if Vaughn had been healed yet. He also couldn't heal Clem's cold, and he left early to recuperate in the sunny climes of California. Yeah, yeah. Where, where's his faith there, Clem? What kind of yeah, healer is on, that? Clem. Could even uh, cure a cold. Hit, cure your bad cold. On November the 6th, after Avic said that the planned temple would not be going ahead anymore, immigration said that this was the time was up and he must pack his extra robes into his bags and head back to Persia. Avic's proverbial 15 minutes had come to an end, and he quickly rushed out a shambolic biography. He even claimed that he had cured so few people in California because of the hot and dry climate. Even though he's from Iran, yeah. which has a very... I know it snows in Iran, but it's also got a hot and dry climate, Yeah, it's too. pretty fucking hot and dry in Iran, too, you know? He even blamed Mr. K, and he blamed Mr. K's family for failing to cure Vaughn because they didn't fully convert to Christianity. I mean, that's just the lowest of the low at that point. Some sour grapes there. He's eventually arrested for outstaying his visa in Miami. He's involved in the breakup of a marriage of his next sponsors. He fled to Cuba for four years. Then he was granted a student visa back to the U.S. where he married a 17-year-old and their marriage lasted until 1961 when she discovered that Avic was banging not only her auntie but also her mother. Banging or healing? He was healing her (laughs) vagina. I'm healing her vagina with my penis. That's what happened. She was called Doris. I feel sorry for her. Although not a faith feeling anymore, his charisma and mystical personality meant that he always had a kind of gaggle of loyal followers, and he began predicting about the end of days. At the same time, back in California, Jim Jones uh, was also starting to warn of the same threats, a nuclear war to end all wars, and he also had his turn as a healer and a divine spirit. So William Brannan, he's directly responsible for starting the Jim Jones ministry in Indianapolis. From 1956 to 1957, William and his team held meetings with Jim at the People's Temple Church, and William would even mentor individuals from inside the flock. 
Jim borrowed heavily from Brannon's message, and years later, evidence of the sexual molestations, the rape, the abuse, all of this which occurred within Brannon's communes would come to light, just like the same thing would come about Jonestown. Well, Brannon was directly responsible for uh, Jones's career. I mean, he initiated yeah, he him into the mainstream of, uh, of the healing campaigns at the Cato Tabernacle in Indianapolis, Indiana, 1956. And in many of these services... Um, the mentor, Branham, was, a, was advertised the main speaker. Beyond that, Branham also appears to have held joint faith healing meetings with Jones in multiple cities. So he was introducing him as like his partner in faith healing. And so happy to see today he would say this as our host pastor, Brother James Jones from Indianapolis back there. And he would point him out. Well, they were both of equal importance to each other. So William's in his 40s at the time, and he might have been known from, like, Chicago to the Carolinas. But Jim, who was around 25, he was hugely popular in that area, and he had at least, like, a one-fifth black congregation. Both preachers followed the same uh, Pentecostal procedure. They're relying heavily on information that their inner circle would drag out of new members so that they could have to pretend they basically had the divine gift of knowing. William was an expert at this, and Jim Jones, he listened, he learned, and he's going to repackage his whole message and make it his own to begin with. Well, both Jones and Branham um, ascribed to the theory that the prophet is the word, which is the message, which we're going to get to that next week. But the message is pretty much the the cult of Branham. It was Branham's cult. Um, But the, the prophet is the word, which is God. So a prophet is the word. And the prophet in the Old Testament was called God. So Branham's ministry um, would use this term, the message, and the spoken word interchangeably. And Jim Jones made a similar claim, referring to himself as the spoken word. He was the spoken word of God because God spoke through him. So without a prophet, you cannot be saved and enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's what I am, the word, the spoken word, the living word. Both Branham and Jones both said this. And so people would believe like, okay, well, this guy, you know, is interpreting the Bible because God's speaking through him. And so he says, we're not in a praying house here. We're in a speaking house. The spoken word is here. The word is made flesh through me. It's, It's so devious what these people were doing. I just think it's so egotistical as well. I mean, anybody who basically stands in front of you and declares, I am a god, like I'm Skeletor, it's just egotistical. It's egomaniacal, these people. Yeah, but then for you as a person to be like, oh, yeah, this is the man speaking through God, I'm kind of like, doesn't God in the Bible say that you shouldn't worship any false idols? Hello. I'm not even religious, and I know that. Well, that's the thing, though, especially in the Pentecostal-style churches— um, the Bible in its written form is referred to as the Word of God, or simply simplified to the, the Word. But the statements made by both Jones and Branham were considered to be the spoken Word. So there was the Word oh, of God, yeah, yeah. and then there's the spoken Word. So they were, in effect, making the claim that their own statements were a continuation of the Bible and should be regarded as equally holy, without error, and indisputable. So you couldn't argue with them and what they're saying because that's pretty much what that's God. It's ha- you're, you're, wow. you're, you're refuting God at that point. It's evil. It's diabolical. William and Jones are going to share common traits, but they didn't see eye to eye on many things. In Jones' taped sermons later recovered by the FBI, Jim called out William for not believing in the Bible. I mean, Jim isn't going to believe in the Bible for much longer. And <laughs> in fact, Bill uh, William was the first one to tell Jim not to preach from it. 
In describing Brenham's 1965 fatal car accident, Jones scoffed at the evangel- uh, evangelicist prediction that he would be around while you, Jones, will be in trouble, which is kind of true. Um, evangelicists like Branham, they're not truthful, Jones added, because the Bible was the greatest money train that they've ever been on. <laughs> From 1960 until his death, Williams stated heavily that the world will end in 1977. We know the world didn't, but Elvis did die then, so, you know, rest in peace. So it kind of ended. Yeah, the world ended with Elvis. But it was in 1977 that Jones began throwing around the world's suicide with way more frequency than he'd ever done before. And by November in 78, his suicide and the subsequent murders of nearly a thousand people in Jonestown would put Jim Jones at the top of the mad cult leaders list. I also have very little doubt that the Kardashians were not involved in some degree with the People's Temple. Jim Jones was all over California. The Kardashians had money. And Jim Jones also did a lot of socialist fundraising and was also involved in political circles. I have I look, no doubt of it. I looked into it, though, and I couldn't find couldn't any find. any ev- I substantial find. evidence of that. But, yeah, I agree with you. I have little doubt that they were involved, you know, um, with, the, with, the, with the people's yeah. temple. I think it would take somebody, like, more learned than me to go back and look for it. And all you would have to find is, like, a company, that Kardashian. Like how, you know, William Branner, I didn't take that Cadillac. Yes, he did. You just got to go back through the paperwork. The Kardashian, there's no way the Kardashians were not involved with Jim Jones. I bet you you could find, you know, either Demis, um, Demis or, yeah. or Mr. K. I bet you could find pictures with Branham yeah. and Jones or someone from the People's Temple along with those people if you went through and, and did the research. But, I mean, I, I did a search. I was typing in People's Temple, Jim Jones, Kardashians, and I wasn't really finding anything. Although the message of Jim Jones, it doesn't exist in this day and age. I mean, if you went around to somebody and said, oh, I'm part of the People's Temple, uh, they would think you were mad. William Branham is still hugely popular, and his teachings are still reaching those who wish to be swayed by it, uh, especially in Africa, but we're going to talk more about that next episode. You know, he was so influential that even after his death, his sermons were sold under the title The Spoken Word, and, and then eventually ownership was transferred to The Voice of God Recordings, and I actually have one of Brenham's records. Is it one of those ones with those great, his songs on it? Yeah, it's his songs and his sermons. It's mostly his sermons, but there are a couple songs on that one as well. I'd have to dig, I know it's in my closet somewhere, but I remember buying a a record by him like in San Francisco about a while ago. Yeah. Even though Jones was obviously a bit of a racist himself, he does not compare to the message pushed by William Branner and Clem Davis. So Avic's going to die. He dies in Poughkeepsie, um, and he was a charlatan. But he wasn't wearing a white hood at the bedsides of those he healed. For those interested, Vaughn, of course, never recovered. He died on February the 25th, 1977. Mr. K, Krikor... Ar- <laughs> you can do it. I, I can't remember it. Arachelian? Arachelian. Yeah, I got it. it. Krikor Arachelian, he died long before his son in 1951. Although, if you are native to Fresno, they are buried, they have a family crypt. Please go take pictures, send me them. And uh, out of all the horrible people in this story, Mr. K, he's probably the only one who truly did have some faith in a miracle. And he's, him and Vaughn are probably the only people in this story who had like actual pure intentions. The only nice people. Tom Kardashian, however, he fully knew what he was doing when he was pulling the purse strings of William and Clem. 
For those that know their KKK history, they know all about these two creeps. But next week, we're going to pull the spiderweb strings together. We're going to tie them in a neat little bow about how keeping up with the Kardashians should really have been named keeping up with the next Klansman. <laughs> it's more of an apt title there. But you know Tom Kardashian was making money from these quote-unquote faith healers. Yeah, and then he was siphoning it back, guessing to where? The KKK. Definitely. And we're going we're gonna to get into that next week when we do a deeper dive into uh, the connection between uh, the Kardashians and the KKK. People, this is episode 880 here of uh, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. You can call the Sick and Wrong hotline at 323-522-4032, or you can even email us at uh, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. Before we get to our first call, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. You can make this Valentine's Day one that you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from AdamandEve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to AdamandEve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. And there's more. With every order, you'll receive our romance kit free. Our romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus a free adult DVD to put you in the mood. And that's not all. Oh no. We'll also throw in free shipping on your entire order. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter offer code DIDDLE. D-I-D-D-L-E. That's diddle at adamandeve.com. Okay, Rambo, we got a couple phone calls here to get to. Um, people can call the Sigma Hotline at 323-522-4032. So this first call came in from uh, the driver. He's calling in about a workplace injury. Oh, the driver. Yo, Dan Kate. This is a driver just calling in about uh it's an injury that's happened at, not through me, but my brother. Um, hopefully this comes through good. I'm wearing my headset today in this fucking sleep. But, uh, yeah, my brother's a ER nerd, so <laughs> he sees a lot of crazy shit happening. And uh, Man, I don't think I could do that. What does he do? An ER nurse. It does take a special type to be an ER nurse, I think. But I also yeah. think would it not be more exciting to be an ER nurse than to say be a nurse in like a GP surgery? I think it'd be exhausting, but I mean, I think you have to have a, a, a strong constitution to do that. Yeah, I mean, I just think of the film Bringing Out the Dead with Nicolas Cage. Oof. <laughs> Anything I can relate back to a Nicolas Cage film. Over the weekend, he said some guy had came in and uh, into the emergency room uh, with a forklift accident. It's probably fucking uh, Kate driving around, running people over. But uh, yeah, he was, I don't know, I don't even know, driving a forklift or standing too close to somebody else driving one, but ran over his lower leg, calf. Um, ankle foot area <laughs> just fucking what was he taking a nap on the ground like how did that happen yeah i'm like why is he on the ground that <laughs> seems more like it's not his problem and it depends also what type of forklift it was 
But you would still fuck yourself up if you know if you were laying oh, your on the legs ground. Your legs are then... fucking sma- smashed to smithereens. But yeah, why are you, <laughs> are you on the floor in the yeah. first place? I don't. I don't understand that. You're at a, a warehouse or whatever. You're laying on the floor in the in the in the in the the way of forklifts. <laughs> you know, that just seems very dangerous. I must say that most people who work in a warehouse environment, like uh, like I have and do, you are like pretty fucking respectful. Shenanigans happen. But you respect, it's respectful shenanigans. You, I would never do anything that would like cause any harm to myself, myself first. I'm like protecting myself or anyone else. Yeah, you'd, I remember when I uh, worked at that warehouse in Elmhurst, Illinois, at McMaster Car Supply Company, um, we had to drive forklifts around, or at least park them usually. Not, sometimes we'd move um, crates and, and move uh, pallets occasionally. Um, but I had to take a course to do it, and you had to be super careful. With it, yeah, like, you got to be legal. You get your license. Yeah, you and, but you had to be really careful. You have to retake it. Like there are no shenanigans allowed when you're driving around the forklift. I mean, like sometimes we'll surf pallet trucks. That's as like we'll have surfing pallet truck races. That's all it is like shenanigan music. Because the only person you're going to harm on a pallet truck is really yourself. Well, you would surf it. You'd ride on top of the pallet. Well, like you're kind of scooting on them. I guess it's more scooting, but we can't, we say let's go surfing on them, and you just go from one end of the warehouse to the other, and you race each other. Oh my god, we would get fired immediately for that. My managers are a dog killer and a retard. <laughs> How are they going to fire me? <laughs> Matt, all of it, and uh, I guess some of the leaks happened because of nurses. So my brother, he was taking some pictures. <laughs> and uh, I can uh, I'll send some pictures on Discord probably, but the thing is just it's just mangled and uh, and the doctor came in and was checking it out. He said and and told the guy, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to amputate your legs. Oof. Um, no. And I told him I was like, man, some of the some of the shit he sees, but that's something he said it just stuck out to him. And was he wanted to take a picture of it? Uh, I got some more stories through him. I guess I can call in about, but um, I can add a picture to this one because he's he's the one leaking pictures out to everybody about the gross shit that happens in hospitals or he sees. <laughs> but uh, yeah, forklift accident over her leg is a uh, pretty horrific. Well, anyways, uh, keep it sticking wrong. Uh, loving the show. Keep it up. Whatever the fuck it is that y'all enjoy doing, just keep doing it. <laughs> well, thanks for calling in, driver. I want to hear some more stories from the ER. In particular, I want to see the, he's not put the pictures on the Discord yet, so I want to see those pictures. And can I say another thing about driver? He always puts up the best fucking food pictures too. Food pictures? Yeah, or he, that man eats like a king. Like the hum, the hummus that he gets is like some of the best looking hummus I've ever seen. Wait, does he get it? Is he a truck driver? No, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dox him. You have to go on the Discord and find out. All right. Well, I have to go check that out sometime. But I want to hear stories from the ER, particularly about what's been removed. What type of objects are being removed from people's anuses or other there's orifices? A, there's only really the anus you can get stuff stuck in. What about I mean, vaginas? Well, yeah, there was that, remember at that time I told you I thought I had a tampon stuck in me, but it, it wasn't. It was just that I was a drunk, dumb bitch. But the doctor who had looked at my pussy said that there was once this mental chick, and she used that word, she said mental, uh, chick who had come in and she had 32 tampons inside her vagina. 
Like, isn't that amazing? You could get thirty-two. I was like, I don't. I feel feels like it's stretched to even get one in there. Well, me and Wackerly had that guy. I think he was a friend of one of our roommates. That was uh, he was was doing a residency. He was you know, you know becoming a doctor. He was doing a residency at an emergency room in downtown Detroit. And I know I've told this story, but some woman came in there and she was like, "My pussy be stankin'. Stankin'. Damn." And they're like, uh, "Okay, go in the back." And the, yeah, they dislodged like this tampon that was like so far up there like they had to like use you know forceps or something to pull it out <sighs> and he, he said the smell caused two nurses to throw up and just the entire emergency ward just smelled like you know dirty pussy jojo <laughs> been like hey what's Stink happening or. in this hospital <laughs> yeah that's one thing we never we don't talk about that that often on uh the you know plugging the discord but if you sign for patreon you get access to the discord and there's a lot it's quite a community on there you guys are like a tight-knit crew if you want to come and see daily pictures of jamie lee curtis looking hot as fuck it's on our discord but there's also gross porn pics I've What's seen. funny is the gross part, the pawn and the gross channel is the same channel. So there'll be like a really sexy picture of Jamie Lee Curtis and then the next picture will be a mangled leg. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, if you're going to wank to it, you have to be careful. Um, next call we have here is from Buffalo Bill. Oh, nice. Hello, D and K. This is your pal, Buffalo Bill. I hope y'all are doing well. I sure am. Um, shit. Oh, yeah. So, the purpose of my call, you two are, seem to be quite well-versed in, or at least be in Las Vegas. Um, I am going on a bachelor trip there in a couple of weeks. And I've been putting the major- like a lot of the trip together. I've seen most of the trip together. And I was wondering if there was like anything we have to see while we're out there. You know, I, I, I've thrown out a couple of suggestions. The Neon Museum, the, the, the Mom Museum. Uh, I mean, obviously gambling and drinking till we're falling over. Um, there's a gun range. Might go shoot some guns. I don't know, um, but any and all advice would be more than welcome, uh, and I'll happily take up requests uh, to do things. Apologies, uh, fears. Um, anyway, show's phenomenal. Both of you are phenomenal. Uh, Keep it safe, keep it wrong. Lick, 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 lick my balls. Love y'all. Bye. <laughs> wow, bachelor party in Las Vegas. That never happens. Dean, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I really want to take a big fat bong right now. You want to <laughs> take a bong? <laughs> yeah, the bill was high. He Let's definitely see. sounded high. Um, you know, I love Vegas. I do. I only like going there for two days, and I want to get the fuck out. But for those two days, I have a fucking good time. Um, My advice would be to take any plans you have and just throw them out the window because you're not going to do them. All you're going to do is gamble, drink, um, smoke, sm- fucking smoke weed indoors and go to bed, get up the next day and do the same. That's all. There, I mean, do. if you want to go off the beaten path, though, if you just don't want to hang out in casinos, you want to go to like a couple bars like uh, the Double Down Saloon is a really rad punk rock place. Um, 
that's a. I don't, I don't think the Bachelors. I want to go to the punk rock place, Dave. Come it's on. a cool bar. It used to be by the Hard Rock Cafe Casino, which isn't there anymore. So it's kind of there's no real reason to go to the Double Down, but the Hard Rock was cool, especially for a bachelor party because there's like all the hot chicks would be at the Hard Rock. I don't know what happened to it. I think they're moving it or something. But when we were there, it was closed down. I remember being kind of bummed about it because you love yeah, Hard Rock. They're redeveloping. What end is the um, the Mandalay? Is that the north or the south? Is that south? I can't remember. No. I think that's north. The north end of the strip is where they're putting all the money into now. So I think they're moving everything up there to force you to go down that way. Because they want to stop. Oh, no, they want to not- get rid of the old part. I thought it wasn't, oh, really? Not by, like, the stratosphere in the Sahara? They want to do it the other side? Yeah, they want to develop the whole Mandalay side, so that'll be, like, the Mandalay will be at what is, like, the bottom of the new strip. Hmm. That's what they're planning. Um, if I would make a recommendation there, Buffalo Bill, I think the uh, old Las Vegas downtown is way cooler yes. than the strip. And you can, you can go hit, like, all the casinos, because they're right on that spot on Fremont Street. So I would, if I was you, I'd go hang out over there. But then again, I mean, you're with a bunch of bachelors in a bachelor party. I'd say the, probably the chicks are hotter at like Mandalay <laughs> Bay or, you on know, some of the, yeah, those places on the strip. But it's definitely cooler to be downtown. My advice is be prepared to do a lot of, be prepared to do way more walking than you ever thought you would do. Well, that's if that's you're on the strip because those casinos are like miles apart. I mean, they're that, yeah. In my mind, they're just like they just are all like I don't know. It's like the word strip. You just think they're going to be next to each other and all interconnected, and they're fucking not. You're probably going to end up hitting up a strip club. So the ones that I would recommend there, the Spearmint Rhino is pretty cool. The Cheetahs oh, yeah. is way cool. Like I would say, the Cheetahs is probably my favorite one. It's a little divier. Um, Spearmint Rhino is Spearmint Rhino is kind of upscale. Definitely a hot girls. Go to the better. Deja Vu. There must be one. I don't, It'll be awful. There is a Deja Vu there. I've never actually been. I almost worked at the Sapphire, which is like the hugest strip club in Vegas. It's massive. There's like two DJs, two or three DJs, actually, because there's so oh, many wow. girls. It's such a massive place. And the guy that trained me, uh, Gio, his name was Giovanni, this Italian dude that was a, such a cokehead, this dude. He, he pretty much, he was like my Obi-Wan. Like that dude would, yeah, when I was learning how to be a DJ, because I had worked at like the shitty clubs on Broadway, but when I went to the Gold Club, definitely quite a few steps up. And he didn't even want, he didn't, wasn't even in my corner when I got hired. They, I had to beat like five other dudes. And uh, this dude was friends with one of the guys that I beat out, like I was just better at, at doing it. I think it's because I can enunciate clearly, whereas a lot of these other guys have this like, it's almost like a patois that DJs develop where you can't even understand them. There's almost like hip-hop language kind of. Yeah. But anyway, um, Gio had to train me, and he was like the night shift DJ, and he was coming in during the day to train me. He would drink vodka orange juices, screwdrivers, and he would dip cotton balls in it. And every time I fucked up or I, I said the wrong thing or I, or I stuttered or something like this, he would chuck an a orange juice cotton ball in my face. And he would just sit there, like, fucking doing lines of blow and just drinking these screwdrivers the whole day and being like, nope, and just, like, whip a fucking cotton ball in my face. And so eventually, eventually... This is like I a got, Rocky I, training montage. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, eventually, <laughs> I, you know, I was the day shift DJ. He was, he was a star DJ there. He was really good. He was really good. But then it was really weird. Like, I'd been working there for about... 
and I got along with him towards not in the beginning. He didn't like me, but then after he trained me and thought I wasn't really a threat, um, we we became pretty good friends. We used to hang out with him, do a lot of blow with him. But I uh, I don't know what happened. If he had like a mental breakdown or something, but he like disappeared for three weeks. And everyone yeah. thought he went to rehab, but he was just like incommunicado. Like, and so the the owners of the Gold Club um, were freaking out, and they were like, "Can you take his shifts? Can you can you do it?" And so I was like, all of a sudden doing like Friday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, and it was like the you know night shift. Those are like the big shifts, and yeah, I fucking did did a great job. And it was so eventually he came back, and they're like, "Nah, you know we don't really need you anymore," and he was bitter. And so then he went to uh, Vegas. He moved this to is Vegas. It's like a and, movie. Yeah, he went to Vegas and he became a DJ at Sapphire. And so I remember chatting with him. He was cool. At first he was bitter, but then he was, he was like, I understand. That's kind of how it happens. And then when he was at Sapphire, he told me, he's like, dude, you should come down here. He was making three grand a night. Fuck. $3,000 a night. He was working like three shifts a week. So that's yeah. like $9,000 cash a week. It's crazy. And so. I was like, maybe. And I was thinking about it. He's like, I can get you in here. And it's, Sapphire's open 24 hours. So it's like you can, get, you can work there from like 2 in the morning till, you know, 8 in the morning. God, that you just do that shift. for a couple of years and then don't make bank. And then just Yeah, I mean, he bought a home. Like he had this fucking nice home with a hot tub. I mean, I, I went down there and partied with him a couple of times. I was very tempted, but I, I just knew if I moved there and lived in Vegas and lived that lifestyle, I think I would be either dead by now or definitely Nicholas drug Cage. addicted. Leaving Las Vegas, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I'd definitely be drug addicted. I don't know whatever happened to that guy, Gio. I should look him up. He's anyway, if you're going to go to, uh, if you're going to go to a strip club there, Sapphire is huge. I mean, it's kind of cool because it's like, I don't know where else you go to that enormous of a strip club. So if you want to do something like that. I would like go that. there. Yeah, it, it's, go it's massive. Um, Spearmint Rhino, I think, probably has the hottest girls. And Cheetahs is the coolest because it's like Cheetahs is like Jumbos, but they get naked. Oh, cool. Yeah. I don't know. But part of me is like, yeah, you should definitely go and go to both. I would go to Sapphire one night on the big night. And then the next night I would go to Cheetahs. I mean, just be prepared to encounter so many douchebags that are there doing the same thing you are because they're all fucking there for a bachelor party. I really do miss Vegas, and we should go back soon. I want to stay, next time I want to stay downtown. I don't want to go anywhere near the Strip. Although I would like to see Mandalay Bay for obvious reasons. But I want to, I want to actually go and see Little Venice that we never could find last time. Oh, in the, in the Venetian. Yeah, we can go, we can go there. You know, another cool thing that I just thought about it, which if you have a, if you have a chance, you want to do something during the day that's cool, the Pinball Museum. There's this place. Oh, yeah. There's this place, it's not that far off the strip, but they have every pinball machine you'll ever see, ever. Like even the ones that were like the first, you know, iteration of pinball machines. So like you can play them Iron all. Maiden ones. You can play all of them. Oh, amazing. It and is they have the, the, uh, the Neon thing. Museum supposed to be super cool as well. You know, I've tried to go see that. The hours to go check out the Neon Museum, it's, they vary, and it's a difficult one to get into. I've always wanted to go there. I've never been to the Mob Museum either. I heard it's kind of cheesy. I've heard, so the guy who is part of the Mob Museum, I'm forgetting his name right now, he uh, also does guided tours where he gets you on, a, he's kind of like the Scott Michaels of Las Vegas and he gets you in his minivan and then he takes you back to his compound and tortures you. 
he just drives you around and he points out like all the mob shit and he's i mean he's old and he was part of the mob and he's supposed to be like a really groovy guy vice interviewed him years ago what what was the place that we tried to get zach Zach bagans and we tried to even pull the media card on them and they wouldn't let us in so i'm never zach bagans i think baggins oh yeah zach brannigan's Brannigan's from futurama (laughs) (laughs) no zach baggins has a bunch he has like a like a true crime memorabilia museum I mean, it would be cool to see. That's where the uh, Annabelle doll is. But at the same time, yeah, if you're planning a trip to Las Vegas and you're a drinker, don't do it. You're not going to be doing anything in the daytime. You're you're going to be out drinking and partying until 5 and 6 a.m. And and then by the time you get back up and get going again, it's 5, 6 p.m. at night. So don't do anything. Do you think they'll get a prostitute? There's always that one douche, isn't there, on a bachelor's holiday who's like, I'm going to get a prostitute and bring her back to the hotel room. And then the prostitute dies. And then it becomes a whole buddies thing about there's one guy who's like, should we report this to the police? And everyone else is like, no way, Dan. We've all got wives and kids and shit. And then they have to hide the prostitute's body. And then it becomes like a bro bonding experience. I've seen that movie. Christian Slater. Yeah, but it's like 500 other movies too. Yeah. Like The Hangover. You know, the other... uh, I like honeymoon. Is it honeymoon in Vegas with Nicolas Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker? With all that's the Elvises, right? With all the Elvises. That's yeah, that's a good, a good movie. Actually, I haven't seen that. In a long I might time. watch that today. You know what? Go check out the Heart Attack Grill. That's downtown. We walk past that. Yeah, these guys all uh, eat meat, so they oh yeah, go to the Heart Attack there. Grill. If you're, by the if, way, Heart Attack Grill is cash only. Yeah, if you're over 350 pounds, though, I think you eat for free. <laughs> <laughs> America. Anyway, Dean, can I? I want to go to Vegas now. Buffalo Bill. Um, if you do end up uh, going to Vegas, um, let you us know what know. happened. We want to hear. We want to hear the details. We want to hear some oh, stories yeah. from this. Uh, people call the Sigron Hotline three two three five two two four zero three two or email us sigronpodcast at gmail dot com. Once again, thank you to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. I know we mention the Patreon all the time, but that is the only way we make any income from the show. And uh, yeah, it does and, keep us going, you know. And why I mean, there isn't ten minutes of adverts? Well, that's what we're trying to avoid. And so, uh, by you supporting us on the show, giving us five bucks a month, you're helping us prevent having ten minutes of advertising in every episode. Patreon.com/sickandwrong. Sign up today. Also, if you want to buy uh, some sick and wrong merch, we got a T Public store um, with lots of sick and wrong shirts and other assorted items. So go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope and uh, buy yourself some sick and wrong shit. Finally here, sick and wrong song of the week. It's a special dedication. Uh, rest in peace, the Colonel, Gary Henderson. Oh man, I've been caught up about this. I cried. Did you really? Uh, yeah. Well, I really like the Colonel. Like, I've obviously, Niagara's been in my life for a long time. Like we're talking 20 years. So I've talked to the Colonel on and off. For 20 fucking years and i just feel so sad for her and the colonel was such a cool guy he's I mean, just like so soulmates fucking cool. it's, it's it's a bummer but uh, you know what colonel... i always say they're the unproblematic looks and ivy because looks abandoned his family to get with ivy obviously i understand it because it's fucking ivy and she's hot as shit but he did like never speak to his son again and he just yeah, divorced his wife it's a pretty shitty thing to do but i mean yeah the colonel and niagara are just like the greatest love story ever fucking told and i just feel so bad for her and what a life the colonel led you know race car driver rock and roll drummer band manager and husband of niagara 
Yeah, you know, um, and he oh, he was great. He was such a good guy, and I'm going to miss him. He died this week. Uh, rest in peace, the colonel. So we're going to end the show here with Dark Carnival's Heaven Can Wait. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 881, part two of the Ku Klux Kardashians. Till then, take it sleazy. Actually, I might just change that. People will be back next week. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 881. Till then, take it sleazy.
We bring in the studio this morning one of the gay rights activists, Mr. Should I call you Mr. Sure. Pepe Julian Onzima. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for Good morning. Me. Morning to you. Why are you gay? Who says I'm gay? You are gay.